Welcome to On Air with Yoga for First Responders. I'm Olivia Mead, founder and CEO of Yoga for First Responders. And with me, as always, is the president of Yoga for First Responders, Mr. Blue Eyes himself, Eric Brenneman. That's right. Frank, Frankie Sinatra here. Right? Isn't that his nickname? Is it? Yeah. You know what? I thought it was... Uh, Oh my God! What's his name? This is terrible. James. He was an elf. The dad, an elf. Oh my God! I got it. Oh, I should know. Isn't it James? Hold on. Oh, Hold Mr. On. Blue Eyes. And by I thought that was Sinatra, well, but I thought that was James Con. So uh. I thought he was Mr. Blue Eyes, and then my friend told me, like, no, dude, that was like he was in a movie called. Hold on, I'm gonna <laughs> find this out. This is terrible. I'm like but not doing great at all with this. Today's he guest was in a movie. Uh, is not Sinatra, nor is it James Conn. It's better Mickey than both. Blue Eyes. Yeah, so James Conn was in Mickey Blue Eyes. No, Frank Sinatra's Mr. Blue Eyes. You are Mr. Blue Eyes. <laughs> but yes, we have, um, no, we don't have Frank Sinatra on today, but we have the next best thing, which is Rachel. You know what? She has a new last name. It was Rachel Koontz. She got married. She's a newlywed. And I didn't Rachel ask w. her how to, her last name. I think it's Rachel Warmath. I mean, that's how it's spelled. So that's what I'm going to go with. Spelled, but, you know, anyway. So she is I'm a sorry. writer. We're very sorry. Like, our apologies. I think that I think we're fine. I think that's I don't know how else you would pronounce it. Like like I don't know how else you would pronounce it. Um well she's a YFFR instructor. She came to class 10, I believe. Um, and when we were in Texas. And she is a writer uh, and a copywriter based in Utah. She's a graduate of Northwestern University Creative Write of Writing Program and writes the award winning yoga blog Alive in the Fire. I didn't know it was award winning. Um, mm -hmm. Rachel touches on healing, empowerment, embodiment, transformation. She's a great coach. Um, you're going to hear in this episode so many things that like life this is a life coaching podcast episode honestly yeah. that's good it's great i mean uh, obviously she just released a book uh called creating confidence which hit number one on the amazon yoga section like rachel's yeah. killing it. rachel's killing it and so this is a powerful episode we cover a lot of bases uh once again in this episode i mean i hope people stick with us for our episodes because we have a lot of fun but they go deep and this one matches that vibe once again yeah, I mean, it hits on so many concepts. This book hits on so many concepts that we talk about with YFFR, that we talk about with life. Like I said, this book is a practical, bite-sized concept field guide intended for yoga teachers to build their confidence. But honestly, you can apply it to everything in life. So I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. So please have fun listening to us speak with Rachel Awaramate. <laughs> Welcome to Yoga for First Responders On Air, where we break down yoga, neuroscience, resilience, and public safety in a manner that's authentic, educational, and most importantly, entertaining and lighthearted. I'm YFFR's founder, Olivia Mead. As a yoga instructor and neuroscience enthusiast, I'm passionate about supporting first responders and anyone looking to improve their overall human performance. Each week, we'll dive into a new topic and often bring on expert guests to share their insights and experiences, but we'll also keep it real and share our own stories and struggles along the way. 
So whether you're a first responder or seeking to master the science of mental and physical resilience, this podcast is your ultimate guide to triumph over life's challenges with unbreakable strength and unwavering fortitude. By pressing play, your training has begun. Welcome to On Air um, with Yoga for First Responders, and we have a very beloved guest today. So, Rachel, welcome. Um, Rachel, you live in Utah right now, mm-hmm. and I'm actually, my first question is telling to tell us about your move to Utah and why you chose to move there. And I'm curious because we're moving to Albuquerque next week. Oh yeah. my gosh, congrats. Yeah. That's so and, exciting. And, and so I know, you know, so much comes with like, I don't know why there's so much that comes with like moving, like the grief of the, you know, connections you made where you are, you know. So, so tell really quick about why you chose Utah and a little bit about your life there. Sure. Yeah. So I moved to Utah about two years ago. Um, I was ready for a change and kind of opened myself up to that. And around the same time, I came out here for a running event. Um, I came out on Memorial Day weekend and just kind of on a whim, drove from Northern California to Utah for this really cool like community marathon, basically. And Mm -hmm. there's this ultra athlete out here who was hosting it. And so I'm out here, you know, walking this marathon, just seeing the landscape, like the beautiful mountains um, all around. And it just kind of planted a seed in my mind of, hmm, I feel like that's somewhere I might be interested in living. And so I started searching for jobs and just going down that path and it all ended up working out. So I landed like- a new job. Yeah, it, and it happened quickly. Um, I feel like it was definitely a, like divine timing thing um mm-hmm. and so when the job got worked out and then i came out to find housing and um yeah it it just all worked out for me and it was one of the best decisions i've ever made so i support that that life of yeah. like i'm ready for a change let's do it here I we just, go <laughs> i love that like well first of all two things as i always tell eric you know if we're into something let's keep going. And if we're keep hitting those green lights, you know, just keep going. If we start to hit a lot of red lights and red flags, okay, let's like rethink and not try to fight it. But that's kind of how it worked out with us for Albuquerque. We like our eyebrows peaked up and then it just started to all come into alignment. And I've been talking a lot with people about doing things in your life because you want to. And I feel like society is telling us, you know, tells us, you have to have a reason. You have to, for other people, you have to say, oh, I have work out there. Like, that's the first question I always get. Oh, do you have work out there? Yes. Well, first of all, my work is everywhere because I work remotely. So I can literally live where I want. Can I just move? Because I feel like it. Mm-hmm. You know, did you get any of that? Absolutely. Um, it was so interesting seeing people's reactions. And, you know, I can remember this one conversation in the hallway at work where I worked in California. And this woman, she's probably like mid to late forties, but very established in her life. She has kids, she has a husband, you know, she's been working there for 10 years or something. And she just looked at me and was like, I am so proud of you and your courage. I wish I had done something like that in my life. 
And I remember it kind of hitting me of like, wow, not everybody does this, you know, not everyone is willing to like move somewhere new single, first of all, you know, and without knowing a ton of people. And I just knew it was a right decision for me at the time. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that question you asked of what do you want? That is such a great question to ask. And I feel like I never really started asking that question until my late 20s, early 30s. Um, but it's it's a worth worthwhile question to be thinking about. And what's your favorite? I'm sorry, Eric, I was dying to say something, but I just want to ask real quick, what's your like one favorite part of Utah? Like if you were to pick one thing? I mean, I would say my husband. <laughs> Well, I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. And that's where I was going as well. Like, I was going to pull on that thread too, especially when you made the comment, I moved out there single. Yeah, I know. I'm getting ready for that. But besides the husband, Utah specific. Utah specific, it's just the landscape here. It's the Wasatch Mm -hmm. Front, the mountains. Um, It's just absolutely stunning. And, you know, having grown up in the Sacramento Valley where it's just flat, flat, flat. I, I would go up to Tahoe as a kid, but not really any um significant mountains there and yeah i think the energy here is just really good like the people are friendly the the city itself is a nice size because it's a big city but doesn't feel too big Mm -hmm. i mean i just got back from salt lake city and like obviously we live in the greater denver colorado springs area now but I'll be honest, like the mountains and how they sit, like right on, like I felt like I could drive to the end of the street and it'd be like on the mountain, you know, like yeah. and talking with the, the locals and it's spring break season. And so like going through the airport, like the amount of skis and snowboards rolling through the airport that are headed up to Park City and stuff uh, mm-hmm. was amazing. But like talk about like an gorgeous, gorgeous skyline because you look out one direction, you've got like the teal, like the bright teals of like the salt flats and the salt lake and then the other direction are just these gorgeous mountains that look like they're two feet away from you i mean i can see how you could fall in love with that landscape in a heartbeat Mm -hmm. seriously that's what happened it wasn't a heartbeat i was just like oh my gosh this is amazing well you know i went to uh, i guess maybe i don't know if it was the only time but i know it was the first time i went to salt lake city for um, a ballet situation when i was like 12 and i it's a core memory like I have mm-hmm. a core memory of being there for the same reasons. And right around that time, I have a core memory of going to New Mexico and having that same impact and never forgetting it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Eric and I moved from Iowa to Colorado because it was like a safe move. Like, okay, that's the next coolest place. We want to get out of Iowa. But we both really love the Southwest. And I'm like, and this kind of ties back into your book. If mm-hmm. my self-worth had been where it is now, I probably would have gone straight to New Mexico. But I yeah. didn't have enough confidence in trusting myself to live where I wanted to live. I mean, it sounds so ridiculous, but it's so ingrained in all of us to follow the track, you know, yeah. that of where everyone's supposed to be. And so to, to come back to, so now you came, you've got to Utah single and you're married now, you know, mm-hmm. speaking of, Hey, I'm just going to do this. Cause I want to, um, we won't get into it too much, but Eric's blew up his former life, like to find happiness. And I hope that's okay for me to say, Eric, I mean, but that's what I tell people, like I tell people all the time, like I'm like, uh, yeah, in a matter of six months changed, like, 
life partners, career paths, living situations, states mm-hmm. of occup- like of residence, like every major thing you could take in your life. And just like I tell people, it's like the uh, Wile E. Coyote and like the old like Looney Tunes cartoons. And that's getting <laughs> lost as we get older because like younger people don't understand Looney Tunes, which is sad. So for those that are our age that understand Looney Tunes, it's like Wile E. Coyote. TNT. TNT box and push it down on it and the whole screen goes, you know. And so... And it's crazy because it's kind of like a line in the sand moment for my life. And I really say it's like Eric 1.0 and Eric 2.0. And there's like yeah. a definitive marker in it. And it's not that I don't go back and look at his memories from Eric 1.0, but they don't, honestly, I hate to say it, but it doesn't serve me as Eric 2.0 because it's just a very different person because of some key choices of uh, how I wanted to live my life, what I wanted out of life. And that's probably the more important part is what I wanted out of it um, going forward. And so the, yeah, the past is the past and I wanted a different future. And the people that gave him a hard time though, like that's my point is he said, I wasn't happy and now I'm making choices to be happy. Why do you care? You know, like, like the people that were giving him such a hard time for not following the path that our society says to follow. And Mm -hmm. he's like, listen to me. I wasn't happy, you know? And so Anyway, it's just like you're one of the only people I know that literally moved just for happiness and choices. And I just have always love that. So um, speaking of the, the universe, like pushing us where we're supposed to go. So you land in Utah. Um, tell us about meeting your husband. Yeah, so landed in Utah, you know, getting used to my job, just getting to know the area and I decide to try online dating, you know, and I'm happy to report that we had great luck with it. Um, We met on Bumble and we went for a walk together and Henry brought his dog and, you know, it was basically just from there we knew um, we had found our person. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, I loved his dog and so I couldn't break up with him. I have so... Be true. It's part of it. Yeah. Like, well played, Henry, to have a dog. Like, let's go. Yeah, exactly. That's the way to get him in. <laughs> no, I'm never going to be single again in my life. But if I were, I mean, I'd probably end up with like this little teacup poodle thing that we have running around in our life because, like, that's like the showstopper. Like, Olivia walks into Walmart or Costco or wherever, and like, she's also got a swarm of people around her. So, if I were to ever end up single again, that is not. Then <laughs> I don't take this if the wrong I, way. If I died, right? If Olivia died, <laughs> first thing I did would probably be. Mourn her loss, <laughs> mourn loss, and then go buy a teacup poodle. <laughs> no, you would still have Philippe. I you mean, you're talking about in like 20 years when Philippe yeah. is dead yeah, too. Philippe's dead too. So <laughs> that's our teacup but, poodle, everyone. He's six months but, old. But you but, should see him too. I was like recording some yoga stuff in a park, and he took the dog for a walk like while I was recording you Uh should see him this dude he's got a beard he's got this little like teacup poodle and then all the weirdos that have also have little dogs you know come up to him like oh fellow weirdo with small dog and he's like no this was a complete accident like you know how people get pregnant on accident like oh whoopsies we had a puppy on accident oh wow that's a whole episode (laughs) that we'll do later like a whoopsie puppy anywho um So I want to say one thing that I heard about online dating, which I thought was really cool and made sense. Mm -hmm. If you needed, if your toilet got backed up and you needed a plumber, would you go out to coffee shops in hopes of finding a plumber? No, you would go on the website and say, I'm looking for a plumber. 
I need a plumber. And so if you're in your life or you're like, I'm seeking partnership, are you just going to go out and be like, hope the right person's here? No, you're going to, there, right, there are services now that say, I am looking for partnership. You know, it just like totally makes sense. And, you know, so anyway, I thought that was a, and honestly, cool way of looking at it. a great way to look at it. And we need to get sponsored by Bumble because we actually have a lot of people in our circle who have met on that app specifically. Yeah. Like, I do feel like it has. Fun has the best vibe. Um, and yeah. I think with online dating, you just have to be so clear on your intention before you step into that, right? Like just a lot of people. And if you don't know what you're looking for, you're going to end up all over the place. So, you know, but I mean, can we parlay that into like the greater aspect of life? Like what I you was just, just about so to powerful right? for like, living your best life, period. Full yeah. stop. Let's get super intentional and super clear on what we want out of life, including partnership. Uh, and then all of a sudden the path really kind of starts to open up in front of you because you've cut a lot of the noise out of the forest, so to speak. And so you actually, the path becomes clear when you have that intentional focus, which then creates the clarity. And so I think that's a powerful statement for life, period. Well, this circles back to your book again, because which I want to talk about how you can apply your book to everything in life, not just teaching yoga. But um, you say it's just really quick one sentence in there, but I want to tease it out of the power of saying no, like if you're burned out, right? Mm -hmm. So one thing that I didn't understand for a long time, and I'm just now, you know, in the last couple of years understanding it, is if you have this intention and your boundaries and you know what works for you, to say no to, to other things that don't work because no is the most magnetic word. When you say no to things that aren't in alignment with you, the stuff that is in alignment just starts to wash over you and, you know, come to you. So, um, I talk a lot about, and Rachel, I'd love to share this more with you. I talk a lot about, um, to be magnetic, which is mm -hmm. neural manifestation work that I do. And, we um, have a link to them for people to find out more because it's just so much in alignment with what we talk about in general and especially like so much of your book has the same concepts. But mm -hmm. this is a big one um, is they talk about your authentic code and mm -hmm. they have you distill it down to four words, right? And so it's really it's an easy way to filter everything in life through these four words mm -hmm. and to make sure it's in alignment with that. And dating is one of them. You know, mm -hmm. they talk about a lot about calling and partnership because that's a lot of what people want to manifest. And so, you know, if someone's checking all the boxes, but then the last box is, you know, looking, you're looking for a long-term relationship and they're saying no, if you were to say, like, oh, but they check all the other boxes. They have the career I want them to have. They're this, they're that, they're that. You have to have enough self-worth to say no because they're yep. not in alignment with what you're looking for, you know? Exactly. So, um, so that's cool. So, okay. I know. So we yeah. got all into the stuff I just personally wanted to talk about. <laughs> and um, we've, been, we've been teasing around it, right? We, we've well, yeah, it all like, comes we're circling it back to a book and this kind of stuff. So... Well, it all comes back to, I mean, again, this is what I really loved about your book is everything I was like, yes, yes, yes. Not just in teaching yoga, but just like in general. And I, there's a few things I want to talk about specifically, but one thing I've been curious about. So ask, can I ask Rachel to like introduce yes. this book that we keep talking oh. about? Well, yeah, I'm up getting there. But the first thing yeah. I wanted to do before the book itself 
was I wanted to ask, since I've known you and known you as a writer, and when I actually first met you when you came to instructor school, there was a book that came out shortly after that, and I immediately got off got it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So the 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 um, brand Alive in the Fire. I just want to yeah. hear about that, and then we'll go to this book specifically. Tell me about that and how that came to be. Awesome. Yeah. So Alive in the Fire is the name of the blog that I started. Um, it would have been, I think, 13 or 14 years ago now. Oh, and you wrote about YFFR on it before you came to instructor school. Yes. yes. <laughs> and uh, so the name Alive in the Fire came from my early days of being really into yoga and starting as like a hot yoga person. Um, I attended a Bikram studio out in the Chicago area because I was a Northern California girl trying to survive those harsh winters. Find and some warmth in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. So I'm in this room, this like over a hundred degrees room, um, just learning yoga and um, going deep on like the inner work that happens when you put yourself in that kind of situation, right? Like just mm-hmm. a lot of intensity, but a lot of growth and learning. And um, I think it kind of circles back to this conversation we've been having about, you know, what in your life makes you feel alive? How are you able to respond to those moments that are both beautiful or challenging? And I think Alive in the Fire captures that idea, that essence. That's awesome. I mean, loving that concept completely. I like to hear everybody's like, origin story of their journey into yoga too i mean everybody's like oh like they're like oh it's just just quote-unquote spiritual practice and i they get there but you just said like your original intention of going to these classes was to find warm because you're cold in chicago in the winter time like, <laughs> yeah. right oh, yeah. like, that, was, that was your that was your impetus to like try it like oh there's a hundred degree room i'm gonna go warm up because i'm freezing my butt off right now and i want to go <laughs> sweat a little bit Yeah. And I will say it was more than just the physical too. Like I was struggling with anxiety and depression, Mm. probably one of the most, yeah, at at the most. um, And so, yeah, I really needed that. I needed something to, you know, feel connected with the community there and let go of some of that stress. So it was definitely on all levels. So how did you... So obviously stress, anxiety, depression is something key in the first responder world. Um, So how did you find or correlate that, oh, maybe yoga can help with that? Mm -hmm. I had tried it a little bit in high school. So I think having that experience in the back of my mind definitely helped. Um, And I've always been like a person who needs physical activity to, you know, release stress. And then in college, I remember I went to Barnes and Noble and found this yoga DVD that was like a Kundalini yoga practice, actually. So very energy clearing. So I had that, which was like a really relaxing kind of calming practice. Um, And then when I tried Bikram, I liked it because it was so intense. Like you sweat Mm -hmm. a lot and you, you know, you hit these moments where you're like your heart rate is up and you have to regulate through that. yeah. Yeah. No, and I just like to tease that a lot a little bit for our community as well, because a lot of them are not going to, most people coming to YFR don't realize that yoga could help with anxiety, stress, depression. They've heard it. It's starting to get out there. But when you said that, I was like, oh, for this population, for sure, definitely want to just tease that a little bit more. So mm-hmm. thank you. 
Did you miss out on the YFFR bridge course? There's still a chance to join the front line of wellness. Dive into Yoga for First Responders Instructor School April 8th to 12th in Washington, D.C. This isn't just training, it's a transformation. Equip yourself to empower our first responders with resilience and strength. Why is this for you? You'll learn job-specific and culturally informed yoga from the best. Connect with a community dedicated to making a difference and master a program that blends physical readiness with mental resilience. Act fast. Seats are limited and they're going quick. Be the change. Embrace this life-changing journey and help bring wellness to our first responders. Your time is now. Visit yogaforfirstresponders.org to secure your spot. Let's make a difference together. So were you in Chicago for school? Yes. Is that where you went to school? Yeah, I was at Northwestern um, for four years and then lived a few years after that in that area. Yeah, I have family in Chicago. And of course, we have our wife of our program there. So we are there a lot. So very familiar with it. Um, And what did you go to school for? So I started as a journalism major and ended up getting into the creative writing program and doing a lot of poetry and just loved that. I guess that would be a somewhat early moment for me of diverting from the path, you know, like the safer career would be in journalism. Um, But I was writing and ended up finishing as an English major. So I was going to ask like what came first, the writing or the yoga, but it kind of sounds like maybe they were starting to flourish at the same time. Yes. I mean, I'd been a writer since I was a kid. I always like loved my English classes in school and I did yearbook and journalism senior year and had that, um, that practice of writing and then just have gradually taken it more seriously as the years have gone on. Yeah. And when you said that you got a job in Utah, what was, mm-hmm. and, and I, what was that job? Like, did you have, so, you know, sometimes we have the money making job and then we have the work that we, you know, so what were you doing? Was it a money making job or was it connected to what you love to do? So it's both. And I think okay. <laughs> that shift for me has been huge because the job I have here is a full-time senior copywriter job with a marketing team and to be able to say on my email signature like senior copywriter and to be able to say like I'm a full-time writer it shifted something for me like it was a big deal in terms of oh my gosh like now my career is about this as opposed to doing like project management and and those kinds of things which was great experience but not like at the core what I wanted to be doing I mean it just sounds like you moved to Utah and stepped into your authentic code in all ways. Mm-hmm. Yes. Agreed. Exactly. So cool. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I mean, we feel that same energy with this move coming up. Like there's just something yeah. about it that is like so powerful mm-hmm. before we even are there. It's like shit's about to get real, as they say. You're like you can just almost sense it. Like there's just this next level that's just like downloading uh, to yeah. use. Yeah woo terminology and like it's like almost like to the point where it's like download complete and like you step into it (laughs) yes and it'll be this period of expansion right like your energy kind of opens up a lot is happening 
And then I was really surprised to feel how much of a contraction happened after I got here. Um, like those first few months were really exciting and fun and like, what's next? You know, like what else can I find here in Utah? But then I did have like a little bit of a depression. And I think that that was also really important in my journey of just like letting winter be winter and Mm -hmm. crying and like grieving the old life that I left behind, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and making peace with this new version of myself that wasn't going to burn out all the time and wasn't going to settle for shitty relationships. (laughs) Like it required a lot of um, just letting go and, and being sad about things some of the time. So that was interesting. I mean, I think like you are in such alignment with like our belief systems as well. Cause we've been talking about that too, that like, even though we feel like it's this moment of great expectation, like this great expansion, that there is truly a brief process that needs to happen. And Olivia and I were literally texting about it yesterday that she's kind of on her castle rock farewell tour. Yeah. she even said like she's like yeah i mean i'm shedding tears going through this even though i'm so excited about looking forward i'm still Mm -hmm. grieving the change that is this life like that we know and yeah so well that's another concept of the neural manifestation the tbm work that is something they're talking about right now so it's perfect timing is a change of any kind any Mm -hmm. sort of shift there is grief yeah. You know, and it's funny because I'm up leveling as a person, like you said, letting go of the person who, you know, is in shitty relationships and chooses those shitty things, right? Uh-huh. The past version of me was a people pleaser and yeah. would self sacrifice for other people, you know, wouldn't say no because I was afraid to say no, all of those things, right? And I'm stepping into an up level, more authentic version of myself. And I'm grieving that other part of me because and and so I want to tell that girl like I know why you were a people pleaser I know why you did those things it's because that was your how you survived and you know and that also that part of my life is I had my doggy who you know recently passed away and so I had her for 15 years so as I shift into this new level I almost feel like I'm watching her fade away too because she was part of that other life so it's compassion towards the person you're letting go it's grieving and also if there was anything great about that you can take that with you yeah you know oh i loved how this past version of me always did this or that i'm going to take that element with me too it's very very complex and you know i just thought of this maybe the reason people don't want to do these big moves is they don't want to go through the grief process. Absolutely. Because I was, go ahead. I was going to say, I was just talking to my therapist about some of those concepts recently. Mm -hmm. And it's like integrating all the versions of yourself, you know, and having acceptance for those different versions of yourself rather than pushing them away, rather than saying, being angry about it yeah right that younger people pleaser me like she was wrong in every way she wasn't she was the survival you know and she did certain things for you at the time that you really did need and so it is absolutely powerful and and grieving is not easy right like it can be very uncomfortable Um, very uncomfortable yeah but it's like a cleansing and so i'm doing you know it in several versions so there's the letting go of the past me and the environment, 
but also I'm mirroring it in I'm taking clothes that no Mm -hmm. longer feel like me and I'm giving those away, right? I'm cleaning out my email inbox. I'm curating my social media. So I'm only following people who expand me. So I'm trying to mirror the letting go concept in everything, even the small, tiny things. So it's sort of a theme, you know? And also, again, to circle back to the book where I'm going to have you introduce it completely any moment, we're teasing it. But (laughs) what I kind of noticed when I was reading through it was that who I was as a person mirrored how I presented as a yoga teacher. And so that goes back to all the concepts in this book are really life concepts, and they will naturally come out in your yoga teaching when you adopt them yourself. So the trusting yourself thing too, right? Mm -hmm. You trusted your own intuition that I'm drawn to Utah. Okay, I'm going through a little bit of a depression there. Okay, but I'm trusting that this is right, right? And so Eric and I are trusting the fact, which is hard to do, to trust your own intuition, wow, we have this pull there. And the old version of me would be like, you're wrong. That can't be right. You must be wrong. But now I'm trusting myself enough to know um, that what I'm, the ping I'm getting is right. In fact, Mm -hmm. a mantra I have to say to myself as I change and up level is you're right. You are right. That thought you just had, correct. It's correct. Like I literally have to remind myself of that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and as I'm building, you know, ev- so that's reflected now in YFFR. Mm-hmm. I used to kind of second guess things I would think or do, and then circle back. And I'd be like, I was right the whole time. Mm-hmm. So now as we're building out our online courses and I'm having an intuition to do it this way and that way, you're right. That is correct. Keep going in that direction. Mm-hmm. So tell me about, you have several books, but tell me about this book um, and how you were inspired to write it, what it's about, what you hope, why our audience should read it. How would it be valuable to them? Sure. So my new book is called Creating Confidence, A Practical Guide for Aspiring Yoga Teachers. And it's a very short book. I think it landed around 150 pages. But the concept is that if you are new to teaching yoga, or anything really, like you said, it's it's broadly applicable. Um, you know, that first year of teaching, it can be a struggle. It can be anxiety ridden and you find yourself second guessing, like, what am I doing? Why am I here? What do I want? And this book is designed to help you navigate that without overcomplicating it, right? Like, and I think too, what I wanted with this book is to to highlight some of the more emotional, mental, like, growth that's happening right after you become a teacher. Like, obviously, you've got the technical side of things, you know, how you run a class, what exactly you say to people when you cue the poses and things like that. And then you also have this, like, version of you that's just growing and expanding, um, that's finding your voice, that's probably going through some imposter syndrome, right? Because we live in a country in a world where there's a lot of yoga teachers out there. There's a lot of people on social media, like big followings. You know, how do you step into teaching without being overwhelmed by all of that? And so that's 
kind of where this book comes from. Um, it is quite literally things I wish I'd heard when I was first teaching. And in a way, it's kind of a love letter to that earlier version of myself mm -hmm. who was so scared and so excited at the same time, right? Like I just cared so much and I really wanted to do right by my students and by the teachers who had taught me. But there are a few things I wish I'd heard a little bit earlier on, and that's what this book is. And it's exactly what you said, which you also mentioned in the book, is excitement mm -hmm. um, can easily make way to the feeling of anxiety and nervousness when you just say to yourself, and we talk about this, this is the challenge versus threat thing we talk about in YFFR, yes. right? Is that mm -hmm. the feeling is often the same, but you have to frame it as, wait, no, I'm feeling this way because of how much I care. It's not because I'm about to walk the plank, <laughs> you know, right. which is how sometimes it feels. Yes, um, the power of positive stress. Yes, and how to exactly. channel that? How to channel that energy for good, you know, and what to focus on. Because you can see it in two different ways. You can see it as this burden that's holding you back, or you can see it as a positive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so there, the the things I really like about your book is first that it's practical and bite sized and like down to earth. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how we curated YFFR. You know, like here's the concept, just do this. You don't need to church anything up to make it more effective. In fact, it's more effective if, you know, so I can see someone in their car reading one page of this or one concept before going in to teach and making that their ritual. You know, yeah. like I'm just going to focus on, you know, this part um, today. And um, it, so it's truly does not feel overwhelming to, you know, read it and be able to apply it. So that's something that I really um, appreciate about it. I love the concepts that you talk about um, with burnout and, mm -hmm. you know, when asking yourself, am I being like properly paid? See, these mm -hmm. are the things that like, I think in and this is another concept talked about with TBM. I have to introduce you to it, Rachel. I think you'd really get it, you know, understand it. In their podcast, they were talking about how if you're spiritual or you care about, you know, these subtle body concepts or things, you're also not supposed to care about practical things like money, like, you know, whatever. And so you have to choose. And if you do care about money, you're agreeing to the capitalism society right. or whatever, you know mm -hmm. and like but listen that was true for me everything you talk about I experienced like mm -hmm. I lived most of my yoga teacher life thinking I was like mother Teresa like having to just like be a servant sacrifice you know <laughs> yeah and like don't worry about how much I'm getting paid I don't need to eat but I'm like then after a while and this is why I talk about like with YFFR I did start off volunteering a mm -hmm. I thought that was what I was supposed to do but b they probably actually couldn't pay me because at that time there was no health and wellness like line right. item so I'm glad I did that but at the same time, after a while, I started to build sort of like this resentment of getting in mm -hmm. my car and taking my time when I'm not getting compensated for it. And the reason I kept doing it is, of course, at the end of the class, I was filled up and it felt great. But like, dude, 
you have got to be compensated for your time so that you can keep doing this work, you know? Right. So I love that you actually talk about that because one thing that really annoys me about like some yoga books, not all, but some, mm -hmm. um, is that it's like, we're talking about <laughs> shit that I don't even know where you're going with this and how am I supposed to apply it? I, mm -hmm. I hate that. And yeah. so this is real practical application. And so in general, that's what I really love about this book. Thank you. Yeah, that's so great to hear that it it resonates in the way that I intended. Um, and I think I may, I don't know if the version I sent to you is the same as this final version, but oh, okay. I think I've added a chapter since then. Okay. And it's kind of on this topic that you're talking about. Um, you know, if you, as a new yoga teacher, ask people, well, what should I do to build my confidence? Mm -hmm. The most common answer you're going to get is teach, teach a lot, teach as much mm -hmm. as you can. And while I think that that's true in a sense, you also need to temper that with how much energy, like, do you have to give, right? Oh, and yeah. are, you being, are you being compensated in a way that feels right? Because if you just teach until you have nothing left, like, you risk, first of all, like giving up yoga teaching altogether, right? Like being right. so burned out that you're like, I just can't do this. Like yeah. I'm done, which I've seen happen. Um, but also like it needs to be in a way that feels good for you and feels balanced and feels rejuvenating. Um, you know, and when I was new, I was of that mindset of like, if an opportunity comes my way, I'm going to say yes to it. And that worked for a while un until it didn't. <laughs> Right? Like yeah. I had too much on my plate and I, I struggled with that. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really important thing for teachers to figure out in the beginning is how much can I give and how much do I need to receive? I have, um, oh yeah, you have to like, you know, I need to get my own practice in. And I, I mean, everything you're talking about, I have experienced in my yoga teaching journey. I want to tell you this little story when I was in LA. Mm -hmm. And again, I was of the mindset, if I have an opportunity, take it. So this, I was asked to teach at this woman's yoga studio and uh, I guess I was on just as a sub, mm -hmm. but I wasn't taking any subbing opportunities because I was like, I already had yoga class schedule and I didn't like want to teach at 7.30 PM on a Tuesday, you know? <laughs> and so she contacted me and said, you know, I really need you to sub more. And I'm like, I really don't want to. But anyway, beyond that, <laughs> she said, um, oh, can you teach for this like community event? Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, again. Which is, which is usually code for free. You're not getting right. paid. It's Volunteering. And event. also it's code for no one's really going to take anything seriously. Right. Right. So we get there and um, no one shows up, but I'm like, awesome. I'm going to get getting out of here. And then <laughs> one like kid shows up and like, is like, I'm like, okay. So then she messages me and says, how did the event go? And I was like, well, no one was going to show up. But then like one kid showed up. I remember she said, well, good. At least you got to teach. <laughs> and that hit me so wrong. Like, I yep. always get to teach. I teach all week. I don't need another opportunity to teach. Right. That's not that's not compensating me. At least I got to teach. Here's the fucking opportunity. I have the opportunity. You mm -hmm. wasted my night. This honestly was um good like 12 years ago and I mm -hmm. still get heated about it <laughs> because mm -hmm. I wasn't making those choices that you're just talking about because no one told me. 
Right. That's the thing. Like you said, no one said here are common traps because mm -hmm. of your excitement to teach. You're going to want to take up all these opportunities, you know? And so, yes, <laughs> yes you're, you're, your teacher trainers, like your mentors might even say anything that comes your way, take it, you right. know, teach. Right. And it's just easy to fall into thinking that, that that's black and white in the beginning. Um, yeah. Because maybe in the very beginning, you do need, you, you feel like just being able to teach is a gift, right? Like, because right. you're able to do it. But I feel like very quickly you move out of that and needing to discern, okay, this class is serving me and this class isn't. Right. You know, there's a series of questions you can ask yourself to like feel in your body. Okay, is this right for me or is it time to let this go? I should also mention during that community event thing I just talked about, I had already been a yoga teacher for 10 years. Oh, right. Wow. I wasn't just new to teaching. In fact, that's what I was like, I have a lot to give. I should be paid. I have a lot of knowledge. Like I should, you know, so, um, and I want to, I'll make a little, you know, caveat for out for YFFR instructors specifically. Let's say you're a YFFR instructor and that's who you teach for, you know, you're certified in YFR, maybe not 200 hour, or you don't want to teach in gyms or studios or whatever. People do say, because, you know, a lot of people, I don't care how much yoga training you have that first class, you want to shit your pants when, when you go to teach, right? So I know that this is something that our, you know, teachers battle with, which is why we do so much practice teaching. But one thing I do say to them is, not only teach, 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 but take, take, take yoga. And the reason I say that is because if you're just teaching YFFR, the opportunities aren't as available as a 200-hour teacher teaching maybe, in, you know, in a studio. So, um, and so you will build up more confidence. So ask your spouse, can I practice on you? Ask this, ask that. Because if you don't have a program going, once you do and say it's three months after you became certified, you're definitely going to feel nervous. So mm -hmm. I would say for a YFFR teacher listening, mm -hmm. if you don't have a regular class, grab a friend, practice teaching, do the yoga. I think you talk about this too, talking about it out loud. When you do the yoga, say what you're doing. That can yeah. really help because with, I always tell people, you know, you think you got it in your head, but then as soon as you open your mouth, you can't speak English anymore. So <laughs> you have to like say the words. <laughs> You know, so yeah. yeah. Um, there's some, some the, concepts. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say some of the best classes that I learned the most from when I first was teaching were just small classes I had at my house, you know, with friends, maybe yeah. five people at the most, and you're in a safe space where you can mess up and try again and and say like, "Oops, I I didn't mean to to do that." And yeah. I think that's a really a nice way to gain some experience in the beginning. Yeah, and I mean, that's one of the reasons why I have the requirements for our instructor schools of doing the five practice classes. Sometimes we get a little bit of pushback uh, from people like, oh, why do I have to teach these practice classes, record them, and send them back to you? Is at least that's what we're going to do for the bridge course <clears throat> that we just launched for four 200-hour trained instructors. Like, we trust that you've been teaching yoga for 10 years. That's not the point. The point is, is that we are giving you a different way to teach uh, to a different population and sometimes you're going to stumble on those words. And so, yeah, you're going to have to record five, 10 minute classes of teaching your husband or your wife or your partner or your kid or a, hopefully a firefighter or a cop. Like take 10 minutes to just practice saying the words and recording yourself. I mean, that's literally what Toastmasters 101 is like record yourself speaking. Yeah. 
Well, that's what she has in the book too. She says, record yourself, you know, teaching and it sucks and it's yes. so valuable. <laughs> I do say how there's that piece of it, right? Recording it. And then there's also the compassion for yourself if and when you go back and listen, yeah. because it's so easy to cut yourself down and to nitpick and to say, you know, I failed because I wasn't perfect. And what I learned as a yoga teacher and what I was reminded of writing this book is like, you shouldn't know exactly how to do something the first time you do it. Cool. You know, I think as a kid, I somehow internalized this belief that I should be able to get it right on the first try. And as I've like let that go and remembered what's actually true, right? That there's space for having it be messy and there's space for having it be just all over the place in the beginning. Um, yeah, you've got to you've got to be able to love yourself and be kind to yourself, even as you're looking at those those recordings or you know trying to adjust one or two things in a class. Like it it's hard to be kind to yourself if you didn't learn how to do that growing up. I and feel like are you and I sisters? Because I feel we like are, we are. Yeah, well, so it's, like crazy same. That, it's crazy yeah. that you say that you had all these self doubts as a new teacher because when I met you, you're like in this height of your career, running this amazing, successful organization. I would have never guessed that you felt a lack of confidence, but that's the exact point of this book, right? right. Like we all go through it. Nobody yeah. gets out, you know, without that. So, and it's so funny. Like the more experienced I am. I'm okay with making mistakes like and also just outing myself and I think it's because I know I have something to give. So it's that imposter syndrome, right? I don't have that cuz I know I have something to give. And so if I do the same side twice, I'm like, "Oh shit, guys, we just did the same side twice. All right, guess we have to do the left side twice." You know, but in the beginning if that were to happen, I would have been mortified and not say anything, not out myself, just pretend they didn't notice. You know, it's it's just funny that like I'm able to be more human the more experience I have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a double-sided coin. The more confident we get, the more vulnerable we become, mm -hmm. or maybe it's the other way around. The more vulnerable we get, the more confident yeah. we become. <laughs> yeah. You're like, right. It's like kind of, kind of that duality there. That thought has been in my mind all week. I, the way I received it was vulnerability is a fast track to confidence, mm. right? Lacking the experience, like you've never done this before. If you can let yourself be vulnerable, that's actually a faster way to build the skills, to have the technical expertise, you know, because you are standing in front of the group and saying, I'm a human too, you know, mm -hmm. and that gives your students this permission to have it be messy, have it be imperfect. Um, well, and that's one of our ground rules too. Like as a YFR teacher, we say don't show off. Like mm -hmm. let's say that, you know, you're early to class, they're not there yet. So, oh, I'm going to practice handstands in the corner or something. And then people start trickling in. Yeah. And so, for example, of that vulnerability, um, I have since having a baby and being pregnant and stuff, I gained like 30 pounds. Mm -hmm. I hadn't done crow pose in like two years because of pregnancy and all having a baby. So it like the past instructor school, I was like teaching them how to build up to crow pose, you know, like we normally do. And you know, our demographic is all shapes and sizes and, you know, and so I literally said, guys, I haven't done 
crow pose in two years. I weigh 30 pounds more than I did last time. I'm I'm probably not going to get both feet off the ground today. And I want you to know that I'm still mm-hmm. demonstrating it for you as the demonstrator, as this is what you're supposed to do, because it's not about getting the feet off the ground. It's about step by step by step by step and keeping the integrity. It doesn't matter. And so, mm-hmm. yes, I you look at me as f- uh, following my lead. I may not get two feet off the floor, but neither could you. And that doesn't really matter. And so can you imagine though, like being 30 pounds heavier, trying to do an arm balance in front of 30 people for the first time in two years? That's mortifying. But (laughs) but because of the work I've done on who I am and my self-worth, it didn't matter to me. I was Mm -hmm. confident in where I was in my life at that time, you know, and because I did that, like you said, it made me even more confident, you know, mm-hmm. because I, you know, was vulnerable like that. Um, I love that. So Eric, so Eric's a YFR trained instructor first, then he became a 200 hour trained instructor. I, speaking of alive in the fire, I threw him in. I was like, teach this class now, you know? <laughs> so what was your, and, and I feel like Eric was kind of on this fast track because as 200 hour trained instructors, you get your certification and then you you sub a little bit and you try for a class and then maybe you get like on the class on the schedule with mm-hmm. Eric it's like we threw him into the intense training and immediately had him start teaching so i and then now your confidence level is like you're an amazing fantastic instructor so i feel like you the journey that um you know Rachel and i are talking about you were on a fast track for it so <laughs> what's your experience with all of this yeah, no, I mean, yes. And I actually remember the first time like teaching at YFR instructor schools, I, I was terrified and was terrible at it, uh, quite honestly. Like I look back at some of those first classes I taught or it is just like, what were you doing? Like <laughs> I wasn't confident in the material. I wasn't confident in myself. I had imposter syndrome up the wazoo. Thankfully, the way the organization is structured for those that are coming in through the bridge course and through the train the trainer program, the instructor schools, um, the amount of notes and resources that you're given uh, are bountiful compared to what I got through my 200 hour training. There's some really, really good ones out there. There's some really, really bad ones out there. There's some check the box ones, but I have to say like the resources that we give our instructors that they can, like the first time they teach, they can literally just read it if they want to. Like if you're not comfortable at all, just read it and the class will just happen uh, in front of you, you know? (laughs) And then the next time you don't have to read as much because you're a little bit more confident you found your voice for that section. And so that was kind of the journey that I took is that like my first classes that I taught were very, very fast, very, very short because I would just read what I was given and that was the end of that. And then like I go a little bit further down my journey of gaining that self-confidence and owning the material. And all of a sudden every class that I taught went 30 t- minutes long. Like all of a sudden I was like blowing the time limit because I was like, like I got to tell them so much. And I got to teach so much. And I love this so much, you know, cause then you're like, get super stoked about it. And then actually, as I got even more confident, like in this confidence scale uh, with the material, then you learn like what to cut out because you can boil it down to like the essence of what's actually necessary for them to take home. And you realize that you're starting to water down and dilute that with by giving them more. And so then my classes came back and kind of found this happy medium. And so that's like, that's the journey that I took through my teaching 
evolution. And now I'm into a point where um, it's even the lecture classes and in instructor school, like I, I, I picture Becca in my head because we have things that we're supposed to be talking about and I'll take my notes and I'll literally, she sees it happen real time. I'll look at my notes on my iPad and I'll just set it down. And then we just start to teach and we just start to engage. And that didn't happen in day one. That didn't happen in year one. That didn't happen in year two. That didn't happen in year four. Like that happened like five or six years in. And the notes aren't, it's not that the notes aren't useful. The notes are hyper, like super useful. But again, it's just owning that material. I'll still glance at the notes to make sure I'm covering what I need to cover. But then just stepping into your own, like you own this material. Mm -hmm. You are the expert in the room. They are here to learn from you because you do have something to give them regardless of what's on the paper. And some of my best classes are the ones where uh, we end up just having a conversation because the conversation needs to be had. I'm thinking about uh, a conversation, uh, the last one that I was at in Escambia County, where we ended up having going, pushing the schedule completely off about 20 minutes because there was just a very real raw conversation about some of the transformation that was happening in the students that were there. And we needed to have that conversation. I'm getting chills thinking about it now. And like, that's when, you know, like as a teacher, you're making that impact mm -hmm. and it's, the material almost fades away a little bit. And so it's just, it's a fascinating journey to like grow that confidence, but even coming from the fire service world, life and death situations, my first classes standing up and teaching yoga classes and lecture classes, I was terrified and I can look back and see that I took this exact journey uh, throughout the process as well. Um, I'm actually really, really excited about this book too, uh, to share as part of our reading list for YFR for people yeah. who go through certification. Um, so I hope you'll allow us to put it on a reading list. Uh, yeah, I was thinking absolutely. that same thing this morning. For that, because especially for first responders, but even for yoga teachers, we find that like our train the trainer program has a different impact on their lives, actually. Mm -hmm. Like, and I, it's because it's so intensive, like I think part of it. Um, and so especially the in-person ones, um, because they are five, six days of like pressure cooker situation, you know, yeah. um, is it a lot of people come away from that. They come in thinking they're going to learn the technicalities of how to be a yoga teacher and they leave realizing like, I need to do a lot of this inner work myself before yep. I go and teach in the world. And so what's really, really interesting and fascinating about your book is that, like you just said, it's a letter to your younger self, your initial out of yoga teacher training self. And so it's a lot of those tips and tricks. Like it's almost a continuation of the tips and tricks class that we teach that you mm -hmm. cannot have this handy little resource guide uh, that you can take along and learn. Oh my from gosh, I just thought of a great idea. We should take like your mm -hmm. table of contents and I'll put it on a slide and I'll be like, this is the book on your book list. Here are the tips and tricks on it. Like, you know, because honestly I saw everything and I was like, yep, 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 yep. And yes, like <laughs> totally. <laughs> and one thing you both just mentioned is how I knew to be a yoga teacher because that was like not my sought after thing. Mm -hmm. I was taking Ashtanga every morning, which is the same the same series. Um, and one day after a couple years of doing it every single morning, the, there was a sub mess up, the instructor didn't come. And I was like, well, I know the series, so I can stand up here and just say the series, right? Like we said, just read the material. 
And so that's what I was planning on doing. I'll just stand up here and just tell you what to do next. And then as I looked at everyone, I saw things I could offer. Oh, well, that person in down dog needs to bend their knees a little bit because their spine is rounded. So I could tell them that. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I have something to offer. I know something that could help these people. And I was like, I think that's being a yoga teacher, you know? And so, yeah. So I love that. Teacher training. Yeah. And Ashtanga is such a disciplined, like consistent practice, you know? Mm You have to, thing, I feel like you have to know what you're doing if you're going to lead Ashtanga. But if you're an Ashtanga practitioner, you've yeah. got it in your in your mind very clear because you've done it a million times. Oh, yeah. Well, I was planning. I didn't. It's so funny. Like, I think when you're thrown into something like that, you're less nervous because everyone knows I'm not a yoga teacher. They're like expecting mm-hmm. you to mess up, you know, because they know like, oh, thanks for just trying this. I was like, I'm just going to say what's next. So it was, it was kind of low pressure and I yeah. could you know, see what was happening. Um, and also what I love about Ashtanga is the use of Ujjayi breath, the entire practice, because, you know, breath work has to be at the forefront as we all know. And anyway, so yes, knowing you have something to give, I think, uh, when you get to that point, it, everything opens up. Um, there are a few concepts I wrote down that I really liked and we don't have to, a lot of these we've kind of already talked about. So if there's one of these you want to, anyone wants to tease out. Um, but I liked the, am I playing the victim um, in the self-worth section? It's something you have to do some self-reflection too. Like, you know, and I'll talk about more on that with another subject. Actually, I'll bring it up right now. The numbers thing, the class attendance thing. I was teaching at a class at a studio in Beverly Hills and they decided if you were a good teacher or not based on how many people came in your class. They'd literally write it down and put yep. it on a whiteboard. Talk about pressure. <laughs> right. And they didn't give a shit what I was teaching. If I was teaching Zumba, but I had a hundred people, they didn't fucking care. They commented on my outfit. They wanted me to have the shorter shorts. It was a hot studio. Ooh. They commented on my playlist. So, I that was actually when I really decided to go in to teach first responders because I was like, I hate this. And back to like questioning why am I getting burned out? It was not a great environment. But the playing the victim thing is I could have been like, and maybe I did a little bit, like wah wah, this studio, you know, is whatever. But instead I was like, okay, where will I thrive? I'm not going to thrive in a Beverly Hills studio. I don't, it's not my vibe. I want to go teach for people who need the authentic practice of yoga. And that's how I came to YFFR. So that, am I playing the victim? Okay. If it's not right, figure it out, you know, figure out what needs to be adjusted. We talked about recording yourself teaching because that's something we say in YFFR to do. Um, Surround yourself with support, the mentors, things like that. Um, we like to call those distant mentors or expanders. Look at people okay. who are doing what you're doing, you know, and sometimes that comes in the form of envy. You mm-hmm. know, you'll look at someone and actually want to shit on them because of like, you know, but in reality, they're doing what you're doing. So follow them on social media, like, you know, see what they talk about. I love mm-hmm. you talk about the inner child references. Be- yeah, Sorry, go ahead, Eric. Back to the yeah. mentor real quick. Again, for the audience that's like listening to this, like, oh, is instructor school bridge course for me or is becoming a YFR teacher for me? Again, you will probably be 
even though we have 400 trained instructors across the country, there's a high probability uh, that you may be the only one in your community or the only one within a 200 mile radius around you. And you can look, go to our website and you can find where uh, the ones that have chosen to put themselves out publicly are living. So you can see if there's anybody around you, but know that because of the resources that we do provide as an organization, uh, from the manuals to the books, to the instructor toolkits, to the online communities and the online groups that were that we have built out, like those 400 people are literally now your friends. Like it's a crazy cool community because like we just found a couple of people down in Southern California that they didn't know that they were why that they were YFR instructors near them, mm-hmm. and now they can immediately text each other and have that common bond. And then they get to share coffee and they get to go and like work in their dis- comm center, their dispatch center, um, because they were local. That's so they got to work together. But if you're not local, you literally find somebody else that's like, say, in Texas and I'm in Colorado. You can text them. You immediately have that bond. And so there's just that shared experience because shared of the language, way you go about it. Right. Yeah. You can talk to any of those people across the country and have pick up a conversation today. Uh, and so that's one of the things I want to share is like, you are supported by this effort. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's non-competitive too. You know, yeah. I think at some studios, even if it's like you're in a teacher training group that just graduated, you're kind of competing with each other to get those class. Correct. Off, right. Which just is what it is. But with YFFR, it's pretty spread out. You know, there's an atmosphere of we're all in this together because we're trying to make a difference because we really do believe in the power of this practice to help people in very deep ways like PTSD or, you know, yeah. um, so it's, well, it's and- a very different environment than I just got trained at a studio type yeah. of thing. Well, and the better another YFAR instructor does, it's better for you too, because then in the public safety world, the reputation of YFR instructors improves and then word gets around to where you live. And then, you know, so if our other instructors do well, we all are going to do yeah. well, you know. I mean, I was just at a work event this week and it came up in a conversation and I was talking to a C-level executive at my company that's a company of about 600 people. They've been in the public safety space for decades and one of my other colleagues brought up the conversation like, oh, do you know that his wife started yoga for first responders? And I'm like, no, but I've heard of that organization. Like, Ooh. The, right. And so like C-level, like C-suite executives in the private sector that happen to be in the public safety sector know of this organization because it is an industry standard. And so by becoming part of the instructors and like supporting each other to make sure that we are doing well, that you become truly brand ambassadors. Uh, and that's, you have that impact on the public safety world that you will never, ever realize. Actually, the ripple effect is just so big that people around the world know, will know you because you're associated with yoga first responders, which is super cool. I was at an event and, uh, someone looked at me and was like, like this. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know this person, you know, but I guess I do. So I was like, hi, great to see you again. They're like, oh, I don't know you, but I I know who you are because they like saw me on uh, like V Academy's like training or website or whatever. You know what I mean? So like I it's um, and so that's actually why we have quality control measures, too, for our instructors, because we want to make sure everyone feels confident and everyone is well educated and has something to offer, you know, Um, 
But uh, yeah, so I love that you do make inner child references because everything we do is from an unhealed inner child, you know? And so if you can work on your inner child work, and again, this is a TBM reference too. They do this as well. Um, It's the primary thing. If you can address, and that goes back to the beginning of our conversation is like, as I heal my inner child, I don't want to reject her. I want to be compassionate towards her. And um, so anyway, however you're teaching, listen, nothing is going to reflect your inner child more than how you're teaching yoga because you are vulnerable. You're, you know, so that's great. Do the yoga first yourself, you know, do your class yourself, uh, surrender and be kind to yourself. Like we mentioned before, if you're feeling burnout, can we identify what you're pissed off about? (laughs) Because that's where it Mm -hmm. comes down to. Simplify. It's okay to mess up. These are the concepts that really hit, and probably because I already talk about these kind of concepts, and so when you brought them up, I was just like, yes, 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 and again, I love how it's bite-sized and someone can get the concept in a quick amount of time and practice it. So those are some of the highlights um, from your from your book, um, and it was uh, number one in the yoga category on Amazon, yeah. right? Isn't that Amazing. so bad? Well yeah, done. I w- Thank you. I was really excited with the launch results on this book. Um, I put a lot of energy into talking about it leading up to the launch and, you know, had my Facebook group with all of the Over 100 people in those Facebook Yes. And and that there had to be a bit of adaptability because it actually got released a couple of days early. (laughs) <laughs> yes yes today was going to be the launch that's what i thought and i was like a little confused yeah. so with amazon there's a review period that can take up to three days and okay. if you submit and then you've got some sort of issue to fix you might need another three days so okay so you had to plan a little bit yeah and i think it was really a universe thing of like i hit the go button and i had the thought this is gonna get approved really fast and so when it did i was like let's just go with it you know like, yeah also, also let's, go. Let's, let's green light this book <laughs> i love it well that's another thing is having that confidence to jump on the surfboard and go with whatever the waves give you you know um i i love that um so speaking of books and amazon and all of this stuff rachel's also our book coach and we are not <laughs> great book coaches <laughs> I mean, I'll be, I'm me more so than Olivia at this point, because I actually attended some of her coaching sessions. She's Uh, a great coach. That's not a fantastic coach. Thank you. Held me accountable for every time that I like, I don't get into my book for about a week. I immediately think of Rachel in the back of my head, like, uh, Eric, you should be doing something this week. Like just literally like write one word or edit one sentence. So, uh, I know that that was kind of a beta group, but I'm just going to say like, I really appreciated uh, that book coaching. And it's something that Olivia and I've been talking to you about for years. I mean, at this point, um, so my book, yes, I too am writing a book at this point, um, is so much farther along in its process. Thanks to you, honestly, and to you and your coaching. That's so great to hear. Another thing we've talked about, Rachel, that I want to circle back to eventually too, um, is we wanted to do a retreat that's like a book writing and yoga retreat. So I still want to, mm-hmm. you know, talk about that. A um, couple things I want to mention, especially like by no means do I ever want to say that writing a book is easy. 
But I think, and Eric, you and I have talked about this though, I think we put so much pressure on ourselves about it that we just don't do it. Mm -hmm. But the simplicity of your book shows that it's impactful Mm -hmm. in that simple format, right? So when we're all thinking, oh my God, I have so much to add and this and this and this, stop, go back to the essence like Eric talked about with teaching and put something out there, put, put it out there. And, you know, you're doing it. I mean, you have books going out like this and they're great. They're impactful. And so it's, you know, it is possible and it's a great reminder. And, you know, Eric has a great book concept that I'm like dying for him to get out before someone else does. And then my goal is still the yoga for first responders book. And that is going to happen. There's the ISBC launch and we have these like really big launches that's taking capacity and but I'm ready to like work with you as a coach, you know, when it's time for me to write that book to get it done, you know? Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Just to speak to that. So I think you can spend as long as you want writing a book. A lot of people take years and years to do it. And some books require that. Um, this book actually uses the format and structure that I've had in the back of my head for the last few years. And that is this concept of like a 10 by 10 so I don't mm-hmm. even remember how this came to me, but it was sort of this idea of 10 chapters at 10 pages each that gives you a mm-hmm. hundred pages. You know, when you're sitting and thinking about a concept for a book, there's usually, I would say five to 10 topics that you want to hit. Right. So make that list of 10 and then think about, do I have 10 pages worth of material to talk about for this? If so, make it a chapter. If not, mm-hmm. like maybe it's a part of a chapter. I was going to say incorporate it in something else. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's a structure that if you're starting a book project and you really have no idea where to start or how to organize it, create your outline or maybe do like a circle chart where, you know, here's your main idea. There's 10 bubbles on the outside of that. And there's 10 pages for each of those. and then you expand from there, you know, mm-hmm. I, I really think a lot of people don't read long books anymore too. Well, yeah, so especially now it's like, no. <laughs> yeah. That's the nice thing. Like you can throw this in your backpack or your purse. You can read it. It's probably. a reference field guide. That's what it really right. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And that's inspiring me right now. Like I want to get off this call and like start a book bubble chart like I can yeah. do it you know I yeah. probably can I and, I, and I'm not going to take it back to the other way and like discourage people like yes write your story write what you feel put it out in the world uh and know <laughs> that any book that you write is going to be a labor and like like I look at the, the amount of time I've spent I had two my book that I'm writing is really kind of a it takes a format after a very standard format in the genre that I'm writing in right now uh, which is kind of like a a concept and then like your thoughts on it. So each concept really is a page three max, but but there's just a lot of concepts and it's a process. It is like, it is like, it's a matter of sitting down at the keyboard and putting in the time like in, but I have found ways around it. Like some of you, thanks to some of your tips, like I can just like talk to my computer uh, and just like spit out uh, the stuff. And so I can actually find that like, because I can write very quickly if you just like talk your thoughts out. Like if you have one of those bubbles, like, oh, I just need to get the ideas for that bubble down. Great. Mm-hmm. 
hit on dictation and then just record for 10, 10 or 15 minutes and get your thoughts based on page. And then this is where, unfortunately, the time comes in is going back and like taking the that incoherent rambling and actually putting it together into something that's nice. AI can do that for you. I'm sure AI <laughs> could do it. But like, uh, that's, that's the phase that I'm in now is I'm in the editing phase. Like the writing part was actually pretty fun to like put the thoughts out there. And then I actually reached out to Rachel a couple weeks ago. I was like, hey, what does like the editing process look like? How do I do that? How much does that cost? And she sent back like an email like, well, it really depends on that. But like, it was like that quick exercise though. I was like, I have to do the work. I have to take the first cut at this. It's my book. I need to make sure that my thoughts are actually in the right order. And like, it's been a humbling experience. And like I... And to, I actually told you in that email, I was like, I'm going through these swings and cycles and phases of like, this book is complete garbage. Like it just needs to go away. Like just control all delete and just get rid of it. You know, like this is garbage. Please don't, do that. Please don't ever do that. Yeah, please. <laughs> like that's the feeling you get like that. Like as yeah. you're reading it and like putting it together, you're like, uh, this is terrible. And then there's other sections where you're like, oh my goodness, there's like a stroke of brilliance here, you know? And so it's just like, listen, you have to do your inner work if you're going to write a book too, because like the emotional journey of this is like, it's legit because you care, like, because you are putting something out there that is vulnerable, is for the world to see, is for the world to read. And you do want it to be of some kind of quality. And so that's kind of been my journey with this is like, so then you have to high confidence back to low confidence. The confidence is coming back up. So again, to your concept of creating confidence, like it's exactly yeah. Well, and then you have to apply all the things we talk about applying even in yoga, consistency, discipline, right? So this is the yoga in action thing is everything we practice in authentic practice of yoga is meant to be applied in life. And so we talk about yoga. Uh, I'm sorry. We talk about discipline, precision, consistency, focus, you know, blah, 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 blah. And on the yoga mat so that you can apply it to writing the book. You can apply it to yoga teaching. And that's why this is a field guide for life that you can apply to everything. Yes. Yeah, so um, kudos, kudos for writing. Cause it's, I not, know, I know. It's just, I'm uh, always like just, you're an expander yeah. for me. Oh. <laughs> and just like yeah. we've been talking about the whole time, find a community, find mentorship, find coaches, right. Don't have Surround to do it your, yourself. Yeah. I know, I'm not sure where you're going at in your book coaching business, but I'm giving that plug. Like that's, well, speaking, a, that's a key piece. So. Speaking of that, obviously we're going to put all the links in the show notes about where to get the book and where to find you as a coach and your Facebook groups. But is there anything you want to like mention about if someone wants to coach with you or anything like that, where to go? Yeah. So I think just reaching out to me through my website is probably the easiest way to start the conversation. Um, I do a lot of custom work with people, both in a coaching capacity and an editing capacity. Mm -hmm. And I love having early conversations with people about their books because, you know, when you're in that initial stage of what am I doing? Is this even a thing? Like, how do I find the confidence to start? You need someone with experience to just reassure you and give you a few pointers on how to mm -hmm. move forward. So if you're someone who, has started a book or has thought about starting a book for years and you're like, I don't know what to do with that. And you'd, you'd want to chat. I'd be happy to set up a time. Um, I usually do like 20, 30 minute calls with people um, without any charge. And I just have so much fun, you know, chatting about my experience and giving some mm -hmm. pointers. And then, you know, and if you do have what is that website, 
call out that so website. You, yeah, you can go to my website, aliveinthefire.com. Uh, there's a contact page there and that'll email me directly. And, or you can hit me up on social media. I'm on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash alive in the fire or Instagram as alive in the fire yoga. And yeah, I also do a lot of editing lately, what's called developmental editing. So that's, if you have a full draft of your manuscript, and you want like a high level review of the organization, you know, the chapters flowing together, um, overall book concept, that kind of thing, you would do what's called a developmental edit. And it's it's basically just making sure that all of your ideas are organized and fleshed out. There's no major gaps in the content. And from there, you would do more line by line editing and things like that. But I absolutely love helping people with their books. Um, I, I've worked with close to a hundred people now on different books, um, all in the nonfiction realm. So if you're a novelist, I may not be the person to help you, but I do know some people who are on that side of things too, on the fiction side. Um, but it's just something I'm so passionate about and it really comes back to the thing I did becoming a yoga teacher of just finding my voice and figuring out what is my story to tell and share, you know, how can I open up um, to that and that journey? And it is unique to every person. It's not easy. Like Eric said, sometimes you're just like, I want to throw this away and you need someone who's been there to help you through those moments. So Mm -hmm. You know, I have had books where I I went it completely alone. And the more books I've done, the more I realize like you really like you want the backing of a community to help you. You want people in your corner. You want to have conversations about your book because that reveals a lot to you. Um, And so, you know, reach out, say something, have those conversations and you'll find it's a much easier and more fun process as a result. Yeah, it's more than just a technical coach. It's like coaching through all of these concepts in your book. It's like, mm-hmm. in, yeah, you know, and that's that's kind of how it is as YFFR instructors too. Like it's more than just the technicality of the yoga. It's what does it all, what does it all mean? And you actually did um, uh, help me with a book, uh, my ebook, and uh, helped me edit my ebook called What You Can Control. Mm-hmm. Which was my ebook about um, IVF, and uh, I'm really happy with that book. I'm, you know, and I got it out there, and I did it, and you know, I'm excited to do to do more. So we'll put everything in the show notes. So if anyone wants to work with you to definitely get your book, um, all of that stuff, we'll put our link to To Be Magnetic since we mentioned that a lot as well. Mm-hmm. And I just appreciate you waking up in the morning and doing this. <laughs> podcast early with us. Um, you have been a, a highlight of our work with Yoga for First Responders, just knowing you. So I appreciate you being here. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you so much. Yeah, I had so much fun having this conversation and just appreciate you guys. Hey, before we go, I want to remind you that training your mental and physical health is incredibly important, especially for those working in high-stress jobs like first responders. And if you're interested in learning more about Yoga for First Responders, visit yogaforfirstresponders.org for our on-demand training app, online course platform, in-person training, and more. 
like this podcast, subscribe, and give us a great review. We are so happy to have you part of the YFFR mission.